Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. I'm Israel. And I'm Brooke. Wanted to talk today about the topic of literature. This is something that we've never discussed on this program before. And so we want to dive into the concept of what types of books we introduce to our children, what type of reading experiences we give them, and how we can think about literature from a biblical worldview. One thing that I wanted to kind of announce, I guess, uh, to you as podcast listeners is that we're going to be shrinking the size of the podcast from a 40, 45-minute podcast, sometimes half hour, down to about 20 minutes. Uh, because what we're finding is the podcasts are a little bit too long for people to get through, and so we're going to shorten them and hopefully do them more frequently. So we hope the trade-off will be of benefit to you, that they'll be shorter so that you can actually get through them, but they'll also be more frequent. So in this topic of literature, something that sort of got us thinking along this line was a conversation that we had Recently, we were out at the NOAA conference in Washington State, and in between sessions, we were enjoying lunch, and we were talking with uh, one of the other speakers there, in fact, the coordinator of the conference, Kevin Swanson of Generations with Vision. And one of the things that Kevin said to us during lunch, I don't know how we got on the topic of literature, uh, it's very interesting sometimes when speakers get a, get around each other and start talking. Uh, you never know where the conversation may go. One of the things that Kevin said is, I wonder why it is that Christian parents are so tenaciously committed to having their children read the writings of famous atheists, agnostics, and apostates, and yet for the most part, they almost completely ignore the body of work that has been written by great Christians. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really valid point. Yeah, I really, really resonated with that thought because years ago when I was a homeschool student myself, I had wondered why we were reading the Roman antiquities um, writings that venerated the gods and goddesses of ancient mythology or the Greeks as well, and threading through our history some of these well-written writings, but that come from people who are opposed to God, against God. And one of the things that Kevin Swanson said that really did resonate with me as well, um, and I don't want to misquote him, so this is a total paraphrase, was something to the effect of, we take, as homeschool parents, we take off the bookshelves these literature books that we're supposed to pass on to our children, and that we're supposed to have them read by a certain age in high school and so forth, and we pass it down to them, and it's like, here, this is the best writing of the atheists and agnostics of our day and of the past. And here's a book to help sway you in their direction. That was their intent in so many of the books of great literature. It's interesting. I had a conversation with someone online today, and this lady was saying, how can I possibly get my child to read all of their required literature reading books 
within the year because they have some program that they're following. And what I thought was interesting about that is required by who? Now, obviously, if your child is in a school, then it's going to be assigned by the school system that your child has to read this. If they're in eighth grade, they need to read these particular books of literature. But if you're homeschooling, um, who is requiring you to read anything? Um, certainly, if you buy all-in-one kit and you have you know, curriculum from a particular publisher, they're recommending things. But I guess this is maybe getting off on a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I just would like to encourage you, if you're a homeschooling parent, your curriculum is supposed to be a servant to you. It's not supposed to be your master. It's supposed to help you. It's a guide. But you are the one who is in charge, not the curriculum. And so in as much as the curriculum is helpful or in as much as it's useful, that's great. But as soon as you start feeling like you're under the tyranny of it uh, and it's dictating to you things that you don't want to do or that you're uncomfortable with doing, I would encourage you to do something different. Uh, you are the, you're the parent. You know, make sure that you are investing in your children in a way that you think is beneficial. I think that's a really good point. And I think the pressure for homeschool moms is so much on we want to produce well-rounded, well-read children and be able to um, have sharpened their thinking skills in their homeschooling years and their growing up years and have given them a taste of what the major storylines have been throughout some of human history. What would you say to that, Israel, as far as how how can a child who hasn't delved into, let's say a young person at this point, a young person that hasn't delved into the major literature of the Western world, how might they not be able to relate to their peers? Well, I think one of the questions that I have in my mind is related to timing. One of the things that troubles me about the approach that a lot of people take, particularly in classical education, for example, and in introducing mythology to children, is the timing in which they do it. I'm not so much opposed to Christians reading the works of non-Christians, because I think to a certain extent, some of those stories are influential enough in terms of the, the culture that they may need to be understood, at least some sort of an abridged version of it, so that you understand what Grapes of Wrath is about, or you understand what Macbeth is about, or The Scarlet Letter, or you know whatever kind of famous book of, of literature. Yeah, the ones that have shaped our culture. There can be value in understanding those books and the storylines behind them. But the timing for me is something that I think is very important, and that is that a lot of the students are introduced to these books too early, in my opinion. Uh, within classical education, we have the approach that says that you should teach your children first grammar and then logic or dialectic and then finally rhetoric. And so in the grammar stage, they're basically learning how to read. Uh, and then in the logic stage, they're learning how to think. And then in the rhetoric stage, they're learning how to defend what they believe. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems that I see is introducing false ideas in the grammar stage. And frankly, even to a great extent in the logic stage. Because in that middle school 
element. We want to call that the logic stage and high school being more of the, the rhetoric stage. In that early elementary and middle school time period, um, you're still trying to formulate what you believe. And my take would be that you don't introduce myth, you don't introduce fable, you don't introduce fantasy, you don't introduce falsehood, especially yeah. when a child doesn't know what is true. So the first thing you have to do is establish truth, and you want to introduce them to real concepts, to true stories, before you introduce them to something that is fantasy or, or fiction. Just one thing that comes to my mind is in our family, we have a son who wanted to read a series of fantasy books that were written by a Christian homeschooling author named Chuck Black. We'll give a shout out to Chuck uh, on the, our podcast here. And uh, he, he wrote a series called The Kingdom Series. And so it promotes biblical principles and so mm-hmm. forth. Uh, but our son is young enough that before he jumps into this fantasy genre, which I could assume would, just knowing his personality, he, he'd get kind of sucked into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, I encouraged him to read through the YWAM missionary books. We bought the set from Youth with a Mission. Uh, they have, I don't even remember how many, 40, 50 like books, something like that. Yeah. It's this phenomenal set. We love it. Yes. Missionary biographies and uh, great Christian heroes and American heroes and things like that. And I told him, if you read through the entire set of these YWAM books, then I'll let you read the Chuck Black series. So he's been faithfully plowing through that for the last year, and he's getting really close to finishing that. He's trying to finish by next week. And um, he's moving on to being about 12 years old. And so uh, in this age, you know, I wanted him to be able to really saturate himself in some reality before engaging in this fantasy. And again, I'm not throwing him into Harry Potter and the Hunger Games. I'm giving him uh, some fantasy books that are promoting a Christian view of life and, and uh, reality in a metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, in a parable, if mm-hmm. you will. You know, perhaps we should discuss the whole issue of, of parable. You know, our story is important. And, you know, I, I think about the argument that's made by some people that, well, all we really need is the Bible. You know, we really don't need anything more than that. I'm just going to read you a quote. This is from my book, uh, Education, Does God Have an Opinion? A Biblical Apologetic for Christian Education and Homeschooling, page 192. I have a whole chapter in here on literature. I quote from Dr. John Mark Reynolds, and he says this, Some time-pressed soul might question why Christians should bother reading these books at all, speaking about um, you know, the great books of the Western world or famous literature books or whatever. Why not just read the Bible? Well, there are solid reasons we should read great books. Again, we are people of a great book, and so we should have a vested interest in literal in general. Growing up, loving the Bible made me apt to love other books. I don't love them in the same way I love the Bible, but a lesser love came easily. The splendor of sunlight does not take away from the glory of stars. End quote. You know, even in the scripture, we find that there's much diversity in terms of the types of literature that are used within the Bible. Mm-hmm. You have poetry, you have apocalypse, you have prophecy, you have historical narrative, you have love songs, you have worship, you have you, know, you have all kinds of, of prayers, you have lots of different 
types of genres of literature within the Scripture itself. And I think that it reflects the fact that God uh, tells the, the meta-narrative, the overstory of history, and we are made in His image. And so we tell stories as well. And Jesus, of course, told stories. He was the master storyteller, told stories that engaged people and taught important and valuable lessons. And so I think this can be a very powerful way for us to communicate and for our children to learn is through literature, but we want to be systematic in how we do it. We want to be strategic. We want to make sure that our children are not being swayed in a negative direction by the books that they read. Could I ask you a question? So taking a slice of what you just said, I want to ask you to speak to what would you say about when we look at literature as an art form, and we might just appreciate the art form contained within that piece of literature. What does that say? You know, you're talking a lot about the content. Can you speak to the art, both observing it in a book that might have wrong content that would be leading a person away from God, or the, the way that art can be used leading towards God? Well, I actually, in my book, talked about an interview that I did with Ken Myers, who was the host of All Things Considered on NPR, and later the host of Mars Hill Audio, and an author of a great book on popular culture called All God's Children in Blue Suede Shoes. And he talks about a book that C.S. Lewis wrote called An Experiment on Criticism, which was one of the last books that he wrote before he died. And he was talking about the difference between the way that some people approach um, literature in a non-literary way and then those who approach it in a literary way. And so he was saying the non-literates use the text and the literates receive the text. Hmm. Um, And he said, and I quote here, this quote from C.S. Lewis, readers who use a text treat it as an appliance to reinforce their pre-existing set of values or to push them along in familiar and established ways of thinking and behaving, end quote. So he was saying that the analogy would be kind of like ice cream. If you're eating ice cream, you don't want to be thinking about the chemical composition of the ice cream. and <laughs> Especially some of the really cheap ice creams, huh? Uh, and so you, you don't want to be thinking about the... Um, you know, the texture and the coldness, you know, is, is this exactly 22 degrees or, you know, whatever the issue is. Right. Um, that's not enjoying ice cream. That's not receiving ice cream. That's using ice cream. And so you don't want to be a, a chemist uh, when you engage with ice cream. But in the same way with literature, he's saying you don't want to be overly analytical about it because then you're not enjoying it. You're not mm. embracing the story of it. You're not simply receiving it. And so in Lewis's view, literature is something like ice cream. It's something that's part of God's creation. It's to be enjoyed rather than just dissected and analyzed. The, the thing that I would say in that, though, is there are some things that are ice cream, and then there are some things that are arsenic. <laughs> and I think it's a critical distinction. And so... We're supposed to, Scripture tells us that we're supposed to test all things and hold fast to what is good. Mm -hmm. So uh, the goal of a story is just like a movie. 
which is a story with additional features like music and lighting and special effects and acting and all of these other elements that make it more powerful. But but in communicating a story, the idea is to bypass the intellect and reach the emotions of the person. That's what movies are intended to do. In some ways, that's what songs do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it certainly is what's, what stories do. So there's a danger in yeah. being in, enraptured in the hero or the heroine and falling in love with the storyline and and feeling empathy and sympathy for this main character and sometimes being coerced into thinking that a false idea is a good idea simply because you're sympathetic to the main character. Right. That that can be such a big part of of literature, but one of the this conversation makes me go back and think about a conversation I had several years ago with a librarian. We had stopped in pick out a couple books and this librarian was trying to convince us that the Harry Potter series was something we ought to check out for our children. And this was when it had just come out, like barely a month or something. And I was saying, well, I've got some concerns about it. And I started talking about my hesitation to just delve right into the uh, evil and magical and dark side of Harry Potter. And this lady was saying, well, but the thing is, it's getting children reading. So it's good. It's it's getting all these children who didn't pick up a book before, especially some of the little boys, and now they were reading. And I I couldn't, I almost couldn't take it in because I thought, you know what? I also have had this idea of, well, we just need to get kids reading. And yet her perspective was to the point that we're just going to chuck any semblance of right and wrong with with um, our eagerness to have our children read. In my book, again, um, Education Has Got to Have an Opinion in this chapter on literature, I talk about C.S. Lewis, who, of course, wrote some literature, the Chronicles of Narnia series and the Space Trilogy, and uh, as well as a lot of nonfiction books on Christian apologetics and so forth. But he talked about in his book, Surprised by Joy, in a chapter entitled I Broaden My Mind, how, as a 13-year-old, his fascination with mythology and fantasy mm. turned more serious. And he said, and I'll quote, And that started me in something with which, on and off, I have had plenty of trouble since. The desire for the preternatural, simply as such, the passion for the occult. And so he was reading these ancient Norse mythologies and so forth. Uh, Tolkien, of course, being very influenced by that as well, his friend who wrote The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings series. And he said that over time, his reading of these mythological stories began to create a very conscious distrust of Christianity. And uh, let me quote again from Lewis. Uh, He says, There came an unconscious motive for wishing to shuffle off the Christian faith. But about the same time, or a little later, conscious causes of doubt arose. One came from reading the classics, mm-hmm. end quote. So we need to be mindful with the things that we give our children that we are not allowing them to be exposed to things that will be harmful to them. Well, this has been a very short and sweet episode of the Family Renewal Podcast. If you'd like to hear more thoughts on literature, we talk about it very extensively in my new book, Education, Does God Have an Opinion? that is available for purchase 
at our website, which is familyrenewal.org. We encourage you to check that out. Please subscribe to our podcast and encourage your friends to do so as well. You can listen to it on iTunes or Google Play or the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. And we also encourage you to sign up, if you've not done so, for our email list. That way we can keep in touch with you and let you know when we're going to be in your area doing a seminar or a conference. Our email newsletter sign-up is familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe. We also encourage you to check us out on Facebook. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash familyrenewal and also forward slash Israel Wayne author. My personal page is forward slash Israel.Wayne. I am on Twitter at, at Family Renewal. And uh, we would love to keep in, lo- in touch with you via social media. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will be back to talk with you about other important topics just like this one on the next edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. God bless. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation. For more information on Family Renewal, the writing and speaking ministry of Brooke and Israel Wayne, please visit FamilyRenewal.org.